There we go. Okay. So Psalm 40, the title of this message is Out of the Miry Pit. Um, Pastor James uh, Thomas Parlett tells a story about this psalm related to the rock band U2. Um, maybe you've heard about this. In the late winter of 1983, the Irish rock band U2 was at the Windmill Lane Studios in Dublin, Ireland, and they were putting the finishing touches on their third album. Oh, thank you. On their third album, War. And it was an album, if you know that album, filled with uh, heartache and lament and outrage over the violence in Northern Ireland at the time. And it had been a rough recording session. Their producer had pushed them to the limit. Bono's voice, actually, his throat was bleeding. They had worked so hard. They, uh, it was 6 o'clock in the morning, and they had to be out of there by 7. And they were working on their last song for the album. And they began to play some chords, and a melody took shape, but they didn't have any lyrics. And so Bono turned to his Bible, and he opened up his Bible to Psalm 40. And with the words of the psalm in his head, the last track, now known as 40, was created in 40 minutes. 10 minutes for the lyrics, 10 minutes for the music, 10 minutes to record it, and 10 minutes to mix it. With the other band pounding on the locked door, they played their last song, and it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He climbed and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. I will sing, sing a new song. How long to sing this song? You've set my feet upon a rock. You've made my footsteps firm. Many will see, many will see and hear. I will sing, sing a new song. How long to sing this song? Anyone here know that song from... You too? 40? Maybe everybody who's 40 and older knows that song from U2. <laughs> well, you uh, 2 got it right, actually, in a couple ways. First off, they made a song out of Psalm 40. And, and maybe you don't know, but the Psalms themselves are songs. They're not just books of the Bible. They're not, uh, they're not merely teaching or history or prophecy. They're actually songs. They are Hebrew songs. Now, we read them and they read as poetry of sorts. They're translated into English from Hebrew, so we lose some of the sense of poetry. But these are songs. These are songs sung, and there's 150 of them. They're songs sung by God's people in the Old Testament. They're songs that express life. They're songs that are directed to God. They're songs for all sorts of occasions. Joys, sorrows, disappointments, celebrations, praise. All these different things to our gracious covenant-keeping God. So, you too is right to make this a song. This book of songs is fantastic, by the way. Uh, there's one thing that sometimes I think about the songs that are out there in popular culture. Uh, there's a lot of good songs. Music itself is a gift from God. Uh, but they're often very narrow. A lot about romance, right? And, and relationships. But, but life is bigger than those things. Well, these psalms that we have cover really the whole gamut of life. And it's all directed ultimately to the Lord. So you two got it right to make Psalm 40 into a song. Secondly, they captured the heart of this psalm. This psalm is about trusting and praising God. Trusting and praising our God who rescues us. Who rescues us from the darkest, dirtiest places to stand secure in the new life, in new life in His presence. So we have this song for us. And really, as believers, this song in Psalm 40 is our song. And what I trust as we dig into it, we'll understand that and sing a new song according to Psalm 40. So let's pray and ask God to do that. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Psalm 40. 
We thank You for who You are, O oh God, and, and how You work, Lord. We thank You that this song and, and these truths are for us in Christ. And I pray You would teach us how to sing this song. How to sing it from our hearts. How to live it. You'd speak to us and change us through Your Word, we pray. In Christ's name, Amen. Please follow with me Psalm 40. Um, starting in verse 1. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, Your wondrous deeds and Your thoughts toward us. None can compare with You. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Sacrifice and offering You have not desired, but You have given Me an, an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering You have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of Me. I desire to do Your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as You know, O Lord. I have not hidden Your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of Your faithfulness and Your salvation. I have not concealed Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for You, O Lord, You will not restrain Your mercy from Me. Your steadfast love and Your faithfulness will ever preserve Me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointment altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek You rejoice and be glad in You. May those who love Your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Psalm 41-17. God's Word for us this morning. By the way, my name is Paul Buckley. If you're new to us, sorry I didn't introduce myself later. It's my privilege to bring God's Word to you this morning from this wonderful psalm. And this song is meant to really capture our hearts with this wonderful truth that God rescues us. God rescues us from the darkest and dirtiest situations as we look to Him. As we simply trust in Him. He rescues us in Christ. So we're called to trust and glorify Him in response. So let's just dig into the Scripture in light of that. Let's first talk about the fact that God rescues us. This psalm is about rescue from beginning to end. The, the, the psalmist talks about uh, the situations that, the, that he's been in. Uh, and he also talks about what God does. How God delivers him and where God delivers him to. It isn't 
just about the situation. It's not where he's delivered from, but also where he's delivered to. That's important to understand. When we talk about God's rescue, it's important to talk about what he rescues us from and what he rescues us to. Sometimes uh, we use this word to describe our life in Christ. We describe ourselves as those who were saved. You ever heard of someone say that? Um, I've been saved. Or, when did you get saved? And, and if we're not careful, we can say that and really not know what we're talking about. Because when we know what saved means, right? Saved means rescue. Uh, when we were rescued, well, what were you rescued from? There's, there's an important part of being saved. You're rescued from something. And you're rescued to something. You're not just like rescued out of darkness and this terrible situation and just kind of you're, you're dwelling in a neutral place. You're brought to safety. You're, you're brought to something else. And, and, and that's important to understand when we talk about being saved. It's important to talk about the rest of the story. And when we look at Psalm 40, it's just to recognize that, we are being, that the psalmist is being rescued from somewhere and delivered to someplace. So, where is he rescued from? Well, it describes it a number of ways. In the beginning, it talks about God drawing him up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. Just a little uh, side point in Scripture, often in the Hebrew Scriptures, there are, uh, is the use of, re- of repetition. That something's stated one way, then it's stated in the next line, uh, but slightly differently. And it's uh, parallel statements. They go together, actually. So you're saying the same thing twice, but you're saying it slightly differently to kind of emphasize it, to to fill out the meaning. So when it says that the psalmist says, David says, he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, that's what it's talking about. They go together. So the situation that this the psalmist that David is in, he's in a situation that is uh, a pit of destruction. It's a dangerous place. It's a place where he's sunk into something and it's... There's danger there. There's destruction coming and where he is. It's also a miry bog. Uh, the word in the Hebrew actually, it's, it basically says the muddy mud place, more or less. It's, a, it's a, a bog. It's a mire. And so those go together. So, so read that and think basically of, of a place that's dark and dirty where you sink uh, beyond rescue. You sink up to your neck or deeper. We had the picture of for the title uh, that you saw, someone sunk in the mud. That's the picture there, but it's a dark and dirty place. Think of maybe a smelly cesspool. You're, you're stuck in that up to your neck and there's no hope of rescue. That's the picture. That's the situation the psalmist is describing with that picture. Think of the biggest mess that you could ever get yourself into. So this is a picture of it, of a reality that... that is not just simply, it's not mud, and mud is used as a metaphor to describe it, but think of the biggest mess that you could get yourself into. Think of the biggest mess you've ever been in. Think of messes like getting stuck into things like addictions, drug or alcohol addiction. Think of messes like the entanglement and the guilt and the confusion and the destruction of illicit sex or sexual perversion. Think of the the cesspool of things like anger and greed or just simple self-absorption. Those are the sorts of things that we should have in mind when we read about this miry bog. We all at some point find ourselves stuck in a miry bog, don't we? And for some of us, we get in pretty deep before we start looking up. That's the reality. 
And that's what's going on here. The psalmist is talking about a situation where, where he's in deep. He's in this pit of destruction. He's in the miry bog. That's the situation. That's the background. We don't know the details of, of what it is exactly. He also later on talks about other situations as well. So it looks like there's a progression in this psalm. He, he's looking back to, to the Lord rescuing him out of a miry bog and he is being set securely on the rock and he wants to sing this new song. But then there's a new situation in verse 12 that comes up. He brings up another situation. In verse 12 he says, For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. So there's a new situation going on for David. And this situation is like the earlier one, but a little different. There's evils that have encompassed him beyond number. His iniquities have overtaken him. They're more than the hairs of my head. His heart fails me. So there's some situation that he's going through where his own iniquities and his own evil that he's created is so overwhelming that his heart fails him. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where you're in a situation because of your own poor choices? You're aware of your iniquities. Maybe even this morning you're in a place where you're aware of your iniquities. You're aware of your poor choices. You're aware of, of the consequences of decisions you've made maybe one after another. Maybe it's just been one big bad decision or multiple bad decisions. And you're feeling overwhelmed. Your heart is failing and you, you want rescue in some way. That's what's going on for David. David, though, has on top of that, that that not only is he in this situation where his sins have overwhelmed him and he's stuck in the miry bog again, but there are enemies now assembled around him. He says, let those who uh, be put to shame and uh, and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. So there are people, it looks like, who are gathering around him in his misfortune, gathering around him in his sin and the consequences of his sin, and are thinking, hey, now, I get, now we get to take advantage of David. Finally, my opportunity to, to vanquish my hated enemy David. That's what's going on. So he's in a situation where, where it's not only the, the miry pit of his own doing, but he has other people around him gathered and ready to pounce on him. Now, If you know the story of David, you can probably guess what this is. We don't know for sure. But this is likely David's situation where he got into a really nasty, miry bog. He committed adultery. Unprovoked. It was his own decision. He committed adultery with another man's wife. He had all he needed and decided that he wanted to take someone else's wife. And as king... He had a, an authority and a power to do that and to take advantage of someone else. And then he had the guy murdered. The husband murdered. That's a pretty nasty, miry pit. And you might be thinking, what's this guy doing writing songs in the Bible? An adulterer and a murderer. Singing a song about a miry pit? What's up with that? Well, let me fill out the story a little bit. It wasn't just that he did that. It, it, he also had enemies around him. There were consequences of his decisions and, and his own son, Absalom, led a coup against him as king. So this psalm perhaps sums up all these things that David went through. And it's here in Scripture because God wants you to know something. God uses this example of David 
so that you could hope in the Lord. Because David didn't stay in that miry bog. He looked to the Lord. And there's redemption. There's forgiveness. There's mercy. There's grace in God that's actually great enough and greater than all of our sin. Greater than the sin of adultery. Greater than the sin of even murder. Greater than all of our sins. Grace is greater. And so this story is in the Bible in all of its shocking value to give us hope for the places that we are stuck. To know that there's no greater sin than God's grace. There's no situation you could ever get in where you are beyond rescue. And this morning, if you are in a place and maybe even had thoughts this morning that there's just no getting out, there's no backing out of what I'm in, that's a bold lie. And the enemy of your soul and the enemy of God would want you to believe that. But Psalm 40 is here for you to rescue you and to tell you that there's no situation you could ever get in. There's nothing you could ever do that's greater than the grace of God. If God can rescue David, He can rescue you. He can draw you out of the miry pit. He can work His rescue in your life. So, hear the Word of God this morning as we learn about God's rescue. Don't ever tell yourself or anyone else that you are beyond God's rescue. Now David celebrates where he's rescued to in here. So those are the situations that he's in. But he celebrates what he's rescued to in here, both in the early situation with the miry bog and then his anticipation for the, the second situation. God, the God of mercy and grace, rescues him. He, he takes him out of this miry bog and he, and he bends down, actually. He bends down he inclines uh, to David, it says, that the word there, he, he inclined to me and heard my cry. Uh, picture the God leaning down into the pit, bending over into the pit and reaching down and grabbing hold of David and lifting him out. That's the picture. God Himself condescending. God in His mercy entering into this situation. Bending down, reaching out, grabbing him, hearing the cry, and lifting David up out of the miry bog. Lifting him up out of the bog, setting his feet upon a rock, making his steps secure. God works. He rescues David. He rescues him from the situation. We, again, we don't know the details, but he sets him in a secure place. His feet are on a rock, a solid place. And there's a new song now in his mouth. A song of praise to his God. Guess what that song is? This one. This is the new song. Psalm 40. It's the song he's singing because of the rescue of God. God puts a song in his mouth for his rescue. He, he rescues him out of the situation. He hears his heart cry. And so now David sings of the mercy of God. He sings of the steadfast love of God, of the faithfulness of God. He celebrates God's wondrous deeds. It talks about later in verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. So there are these wondrous deeds that go on in David's life. Again, we don't know the details, but God does something to intervene in the situation and rescue him. He brings a miracle rescue for David. David's stuck in the pit. He's in the miry bog. He doesn't know how he's going to get out. He cries to the Lord. He waits patiently for the Lord. He looks to the Lord to get him out of the pit. God rescues him. God works wonders and shows David that he is for David. That he is a God of mercy who rescues. And so David is out of the pit and he's singing of the wondrous deeds of God. He's, he's considering the thoughts of God. 
Psalm 139 talks about this, this that God's thoughts towards us are innumerable. It's amazing. The, the picture there is that, that God's deeds are for us. God's deeds are for David and really for any and all who would be in covenant with God through faith. And His thoughts are towards us. His thoughts are towards how He can rescue us. His thoughts are towards our future as well. The idea here also is God's plans for David. How God anticipates that He's not only going to rescue David, but He's going to keep David. And He's going to work out plans in and through David's life. And so David's just thinking about God's rescue. Thinking about who the Lord is and how wonderful He is. His plans, His numerous thoughts. How good the Lord is to him. Psalm 23 says something similar, right? 23.6 Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's experiencing the blessing of God. His rescue from this circumstance and, and his restoration with the Lord. Guys, we are like David. We need rescue from miry bogs. We need rescue from pits of destruction. We need rescue from situations, no matter what they might be. There's a whole spectrum of situations we can find ourselves in from which we need rescue. And God wants you to cry out to Him. This psalm is here for you so that you would cry out to Him like David does. That you would wait patiently for Him. You would look to Him. I was actually spent some time this week just going through the lists of our members and our regular attendees. And as I went through that list and thought of everyone's life and what was going on, just about everybody that I saw on the list has some situation that is a miry bog of sorts. Some situation that is an a, a undesirable situation. Some situation that's a challenging situation. And, and really, of all sorts. Things like unemployment. Underemployment. Loved ones who have strayed from God. Family members wrestling with addiction. Struggling marriages, sickness, chronic sickness, even life-threatening sickness, surgeries, death of a beloved mom this past week, discouragement, temptations, worries about the future, struggling friendships or family relationships, and many more. There's lots of miry bogs that we find ourselves in currently. Peg and I just got a, a letter from the IRS on Friday informing us that we owe 25000 in back taxes for 2015. I've never made enough money to ever pay that much in taxes in any given year. Uh, and it was like a punch in the gut. Um, as far as I know, we did our taxes properly, so we're sorting through that, but that's a little bit of a miry bog for us right now. Whatever it might be, we are all facing situations in life that are miry bogs, that are challenges. And they come at different times and in different ways, sometimes more intense than others, sometimes wave upon wave. And guys, the reality is in this fallen, broken world, as good as it is in many ways, as good as it was certainly in its original form as God created it, it was good and very good, it's been corrupted, it's broken, and it's full of sorrows. There are miry bogs that we fall into. But the point of this psalm isn't to merely tell you about the miry bogs. The point of this psalm isn't to leave you with just facing the reality that life is hard. The point of this psalm is not to look at the miry bog. The point of this psalm is to look to the one who rescues us out of the miry bog. And I would submit to you that that is the very point in the sovereignty of God 
of allowing adverse circumstances to occur in our lives. Not that we live in those adverse circumstances, that we live in the One who rescues us. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's a sovereign purpose in suffering and in sorrow and in situations, even in our failures, of experiencing God's rescue and glorifying God through that and knowing Him better in all His mercy and grace and amazing love and faithfulness. Through His rescue, we'll know Him better than if we never had a problem and never had to rely on Him and never had to see Him come through. Guys, life is full of miry bogs. Life is full of challenges. But the point in all of it is to learn more and experience more of the amazing rescue of our gracious and faithful God. So look to Him in your situations. Look to Him for deliverance. Look to Him in His mercy and grace. Look to Him like David does in Psalm 40. Something that's really important to get though as you consider Psalm 40, as you think about David's prayer and God's answer to him, as you think about your own situation and your own challenges, your own miry bogs, whatever they might be, is to understand that none of this could happen for David or for us apart from Christ. None of this could happen apart from Christ. Even for David. Now David is God's chosen king in the Old Testament. He is God's chosen king over His chosen people. And they are in this solemn and holy, wonderful agreement with God called the covenant. There's been a covenant with Abraham actually made for the, the, the descendants of Abraham. Physically and through faith, ultimately. There's this agreement made with them. There's also agreement made through Moses. They're living in covenant with God. And so... David, in a sense, can come before God and expect God to answer him because he's God's chosen king over God's chosen people. And God said, I'm going to be gracious to you as you look to me. So he can, he can say the things in this psalm to a degree and expect God to come and rescue him. But if you know the story though, David was a failed king. David failed, and, and maybe he's even describing that failure. David broke the covenant through his sinful choices. So even for David, who, who had the best human chance really to expect God to answer his prayer, he had failed. And he could not stand and insist upon God answering that prayer. And certainly for you and for me, we don't have a base to stand on and assert to God, God, You must answer me here. You must rescue me from my miry blood. We don't have a claim on Psalm 40 left to ourselves. We don't. But this psalm points to something deeper. It points to a deeper reality. David himself points to a deeper reality. Ultimately, it points to Christ. And this psalm actually is, is quoted in the New Testament in, in a way that explains more about Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, 5-7, we can put that up. This psalm, really the whole of Scripture, the Old Testament, the entirety of Scripture, points to Christ ultimately. And Psalm, uh, psalm 40 is quoted in Hebrews 10, 5-7. And it's in a section that is speaking of Christ's rescue of sinners. And so it says in verse 5, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not 
you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. That's right out of Psalm 40. It's directly out, out of this psalm in the middle, and David says it here. David says it in this psalm when he's celebrating what God has done for him. When he's communicating to God his, his joy and his delight. And so verses 6 and 7 and 8, you'll see it there. And he says, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. That's what David says in the psalm. That's what's quoted about Jesus. Now David is saying it in sincerity. Because in Deuteronomy 17, it describes the king and how the king was supposed to be someone who was in the Word and saturated with God's Word and was a worshiper and led God's people. And so when he says, behold, it's written about me in the scroll, that's what he's saying. Deuteronomy 17, it's written about me as the king. I'm to come to you. And you've given me open ears is what David says. The best, but actually a literal translation is you've dug ears for me. That God, you've given me ears to hear your word and to love you. And so that's why in Hebrews it says you've prepared a body for me. You've given me a body so that I can worship you and love you. That's what David's saying in the original psalm. But it's quoted about Jesus because when David's saying that, ultimately he's pointing to Jesus. The perfect King. And as David's saying, I now because you've rescued me, I want to give you my life. I want to love you. I want your word, your law to define my life. I want to run in the ways of your law. It's filled my heart. I love you, Lord. He's pointing ultimately to Jesus who offers Himself as a living sacrifice. So this psalm points through David, the imperfect one, to the perfect David, the King Jesus. And He is the only perfect King. And it's only because of Jesus that David can make claims for God's mercy here. And it's only because of Jesus that you and I can read Psalm 40 and expect God to lift us out of the miry pit. Not because of ourselves. Only because of Jesus. Because He's the only perfect covenant keeper who has access to these promises of God. And it's only in Him that we can ever expect to be lifted out of the miry bog. And oh, thank God, for who Jesus is. He indeed has offered Himself as a living sacrifice. He indeed has given Himself in perfect devotion to the Father. He indeed has stooped down into our miry bogs and leaned over in the bog in all the cesspool of our mess and our foolishness, the very things this morning perhaps you feel stuck in, be they your sins or your sorrows or struggles, He leans over and He enters into that miry bog and He takes on the the mess and the filth and the dirt and the confusion and the sorrow Himself. He stoops down into your miry bog and lifts you up. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, for our sake, He made Him. So God made the Son. God the Father made God the Son. For our sake, He made Him to be sin. Who knew no sin. So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.24 says it this way, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. 
speaking of the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. He bears our sins. He bears our sorrow. He enters the miry bog. He takes on Himself those sins, those sorrows, those situations. And He pays for our sin on on the cross so that in Him and through faith in Him we are forgiven and we are rescued and now we have rights in Him to be lifted out of that miry bog. And to live with Him. And to have our feet set on that rock. Secure. We have forgiveness. We have right standing before God. We have all the blessings that Jesus deserves. All the right that Jesus has to all the promises are now ours in Jesus if we put our faith in Him. It's amazing. The story is told of two brothers separated by about three years who so just love to spend time with, together, play ball together, run through the woods and do different things in the neighborhood together. One of the things that they liked to do best was to play in a large sand pit, pit that was near their house. Running down the pit, doing somersaults down the hill, things like that, running here and there. One day they were in the pit after some excavation had been done. And they were going down the hill and they fell together into a sinkhole. The desperate screams of the younger brother finally alerted the neighbors after some time and they came running to find the younger brother buried up to his neck in sand. They all frantically asked, where's your big brother? The younger boy answered with tears in his eyes. He's underneath me, holding me up. Jesus is that big brother underneath us, holding us up. He's come down into our pit. He's borne our sins and sorrows. And as we stand on His shoulders through faith, we can be rescued. All these promises in this psalm, all the promises in Scripture, because of Jesus, are yes and amen for you and for me. Because of Him alone. We can claim these things as we trust in Him. David ultimately had to to look to a Savior who was to come. And for us as well, reading the psalm and claiming its promises, we stand on the shoulders of Jesus who died for our sins, who rose again, who reigns now. And through simple faith in Him, that's, that's the miracle, the wonder for us. It's simple faith. We don't come to Him with our lives cleaned up. We don't lift ourselves out of the miry bog. We don't figure it all out. We don't come up with a plan to somehow fix the mess we're in. We simply look to Jesus. We simply put our trust in Him. We point our eyes to Jesus and trust Him to lift us up. Through simple faith in Him, all these things are ours. And now in Him, there's forgiveness for our sins. For all of the consequences of our sins and poor choices, there's forgiveness. There's no longer justice. The justice of God demands our just response to our sin. The wrath of God is poured out on us as sinners. The justly so. The bogs that we create deserve God's righteous response. But in Christ, when you stand on Him, 
There's forgiveness. There's no longer any penalty. You are free. And now the Lord lifts us up. We're received and counted as righteous and clean in Jesus. He now regards us as a beloved son or daughter. He now uses all the circumstances, no matter what they might be, for good in our lives, ultimately. He uses them for good. He uses them to work in us something bigger than we could ever imagine. Making us more and more like Christ. Showing His glory through our lives. And then one day, He will bring us safely home to His presence and then into His everlasting kingdom in the new heaven and the new earth where there will be no more sin or sorrow. There will be no more miry bogs. You will stand on the secure rock forever and ever enjoying Him, loving Him, experiencing all that the promises are. This psalm, this rescue it speaks of is in Christ. Now, the psalmist in God wants us to respond to this truth by simply trusting Him as I've said. You'll see it throughout. Like David wants what God has done, this rescue that he's experienced to cause people to, to trust, to see, and to fear. To fear God. To have reverence for God. To realize that God is this great that He rescues us. And to trust in Him. That's what the psalmist wants. And he says in verse 4, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust who does not turn to the proud to those who go astray after a lie. Blessed is the person who looks to Jesus. Who looks to God for rescue and doesn't turn to the proud. Doesn't turn to all the other alternatives that are out there. Guys, there's lots of alternatives for you in your miry bog to find some sense of relief. Self-help advice that's not based on Christ. Your own strength, perhaps. Maybe the strength of others. Now certainly God uses others in our lives, but, but it's not to be the mere strength of others. Half-truths or full lies that lead us away from God. God Himself is to be our rescue. God Himself, God alone is good. God alone is the truth. God alone is able and He cares. So trust Him and stop looking elsewhere. Wait patiently for the Lord. Trust Him. And maybe something you could do today just to act out that trust if you have the notes, you don't need the notes, but you can just write down what your miry bog is in the section on trust Him. And you can give it to Him. Say, Lord, here's my miry bog. I need you to rescue. I'm going to wait patiently for you. I'm trusting you. I'm not going to look elsewhere. I'm not going to try to find comfort in something else. I'm going to look to you and look for how you will rescue me. So write down that miry bog and put it, put it on that piece of paper and then maybe use that as a bookmark in your Bible or something to go back to. That is one way you can walk out trusting in Him to rescue Him. Rescue you. And the psalmist wants us to trust Him and the psalmist wants us to glorify God. So if you read through the psalm, you see David experiencing this deliverance, experiencing the deliverance from the miry bog and all that comes with it. And there's all sorts of things that he's doing to glorify God. This is a psalm that is introverted he's considering a situation and so forth, but it's very extroverted as well. There's, there's results. There's a heart. There's a new song that he sings. There's a, a heart full of the goodness of God. He anticipates people being wowed by what God has done. He's eager to see this. He thinks about all that God 
has done in His wondrous deeds. And it says He tells everybody, He says the great congregation, that's basically everybody at church and in the community, He tells them about what God has done. He glorifies God by sharing it with others. He wants others to know that this is who God is. That God delivers and rescues. And, and you can see Him getting into detail perhaps with people. Let me tell you the situation. This was going on. I got this letter from the IRS. $25,000. I had no money. And then this happened. And then this happened. And God supplied my need. Or God taught me how to trust Him. And yeah, it was hard. But in the end, He, he showed that He was bigger than the IRS. And that was wonderful in my life because I used to worry so much about you know you whatever it might be David is doing that he's celebrating he's telling others he's telling the great congregation about what God has done he anticipates even his enemies being silenced by God's deliverance now whether you have human enemies we know we have spiritual enemies one of the things that God loves to do is silence our spiritual enemies by his gracious rescue the enemy wants to say what what did you do to get in that pit what a loser you are. You'll never get out of there. This is who you are. You're going to fail. Nothing's going nothing's to work. This is your life. That's what he wants to say. That's what he wants you to remain there. God loves to silence the enemy with his rescue. To show that it's all lies and that the truth of God is that he's a God who rescues us. And he wants, David here wants to give his whole life to the Lord. He wants to tell others. He, want to, he wants to live in obedience to the law. The law of God, the good ways of God, the instruction, it says in verse 9, I desire to do Your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I love You, Lord. That's what God does. When, when God delivers us and rescues us, He fills us with thanksgiving. He gives us power and fills us with the new love of His law, a love of His ways. We want to walk in His ways. Psalm 119 talks about when uh, we run in the path of His commands, for You have enlarged my heart, it says. We run in the paths of His commands. We love His ways. He's enlarged our hearts. He's, he's met us. And, and so that's what's going on in David's life. He, he wants to tell others. This is natural. This is what happens when God works in our life. C.S. Lewis actually talks about the Psalms and has this quote. I want to share it with you. About how the telling of others is part of the joy of the experience. The telling of others of God's deliverance and His rescue is part of the joy of His rescue. He says this, it's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author or not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. And then he goes on to say, if it were possible for a created soul fully to appreciate, that is to love and delight in the worthiest object of all, and simultaneously at every moment to give this delight perfect expression, then that soul would be in supreme beatitude or happiness. So telling others is part of our joy. Telling others is part of our celebration. And that's what David is doing there. So how do we apply that? I finish up here. How do we apply that truth? Have you been rescued? Have you been rescued again and again? Has God rescued you in Christ from your sin? Do you know that the, the bigger brother is there? You're standing on his shoulders. You are clean and forgiven, and he's for you. Do you know that? Then tell someone. 
Tell others about it. Tell others about God's rescue. Tell others about the specific rescues He brings from that place of standing in Christ. There's all sorts of circumstances and situations He rescues us from all the time. I know it. Just as there's a long list of people in our church who are going through situations that are miry bogs, there's also a longer list of situations from which He's delivered you. You have lots to tell others about. One of the things that we've done actually as a church is we've done away with announcements in our central offering slot so that we'd have time to do things like pray as Pastor Jeff led us, but also to have you come up and share what God has done. To tell others. To have a testimony. And it can be a simple paragraph. It could be two pages worth. But let's tell one another. Let's tell one another what God has done. Let's remind one another of what He's done. Let's remind one another of how He's rescued us. And let us have our joy in Him complete as we tell. Let's do that. Let's tell others who don't know Him, who need know Him about what God has done. Psalm 40 teaches us this wonderful truth as the band comes up. That God rescues us in Christ. God rescues us in Christ. So trust and glorify Him. We're going to transition to song and communion. And I think Psalm 40 does a great job of preparing us to sing and to celebrate communion and remember that our God rescues us in Christ.